0: Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Thriving, Part 9, Self-Control, recorded Sunday, August 1st, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Josh with today's message. Letter writing has been lost in our culture. And I'm not just talking about like sending a uh, a, a Facebook message or a text. I'm talking about pen, paper, these things, I don't know if you guys heard of them, they're called stamps. You ever heard of those? And like you have to address it and you put it in the mystery box and you put the flag up and it magically appears wherever you intend it to go. The art of letter writing has been lost. I I will tell you, that uh, letter writing played a huge role in my life. Specifically, I remember when I was uh, in the age range of 17 to 19, it was a time period where you could say I was a hurting young man and I may have been a little off track life-wise. Uh, there were five or six people that were very consistent in writing letters. Text messaging did not exist. Uh, cell phones were not a thing. And do you guys remember when like phone calls used to cost like 25 cents a minute? Any of you guys remember that? I'm dating myself, but that's that's what it was. But these letters were never inflammatory. They were never accusatory. They were never judgmental. The purpose of these letters was to simply remind me of who God intended me to be and who I was called to be. As a reminder, these letters were out of love. And even if I didn't want to hear these letters, I would read them. Even if I didn't agree in the moment, I hung on to them. And after reading them again, it was really nostalgic to like put myself in the seat of the writer. Uh, now that I'm a dad and, and now that I've kind of grown up and I've moved past that phase uh, of my life, to put myself in the seat of the writer and to kind of feel the pain that they were probably feeling as they wrote, those words on a piece of paper and to put myself in their seat and, and to go, man, this was a brother that just wanted to encourage me. This was just a sister-in-law that was connecting with her new family and was taking time to write a letter to, to her punk brother-in-law. Or this was a mom that was just, her heart was longing for her hurt boy. Or it was a, like, what I'm going to share with you this morning is an excerpt from um, a daddy that longed for his boy to emotionally come home. Um, so I'm going to read this to you. As much as I lose things, if you know me, man, God will show me someday how many years I spent looking for my keys uh, and my wallet, but somehow this letter that's dated January 12th of 1997 uh, hasn't left my possession. It says, you learned that goals are, more, are an important part of life. But that every goal has, has has its own place and priority. We need to understand what these are. Also, goals, no matter how important, cannot be achieved without hard work and dedication. Don't overlook the fact that your new goals and priorities need to be um, need all the same hard work and loyalty that you gave to football. Give this 25 years ago, okay? Also, Josh. Remember where your relationship with God fits at the head of your goals. Your hard work and dedication with God will help you find friendship, support, and relationships you will need to build your future. And he had written this all in cursive, very messy handwriting, but this part was in all caps printed. He will, referring to God, provide. But only if you open yourself to Him. In your life. Remember that everyone makes mistakes. It's how they learn from their mistakes that count. And there's more in there. I'd love to share that with you, but I hope you hear the heart in that letter. It turns out that words penned to paper and given to a recipient have power. And that's where we find ourselves in the book of Galatians, Paul was a follower of Jesus. Paul was a planter of churches. Paul was a champion for the gospel. He committed his entire life to this. I can imagine church after church, community after community that. Paul would step into one community, and maybe they were an ag community, and they had sheep. He probably got his hands dirty in the spring when, when new sheep were being born, and he probably knew what it was like to shear the sheep and, and to work in that environment, and he probably knew... When he planted a church on the Mediterranean coast, what it was like to mend a net, he probably knew what it was like to pull a fishing net. He probably knew what the humid sea air during the heat of the summer felt like across his shoulders, and he connected with those communities, and he probably understood what it was like to cry at a funeral in one of those communities or to rejoice at a wedding, or to, to, to celebrate and clap and to raise his hands when somebody gave their life to Jesus. Paul connected with these communities. It wasn't just a random people that he was writing these letters to. These were people that he did life with. And he put pen to paper, and he wrote letters, not to point a finger, not to be accusatory, but to encourage. And that's what we find in Galatians chapter one. I want you to hear these words. In Galatians chapter one, he says this, and this is prior to Galatians 5.22 that we've been reading together for weeks and weeks. He says, listen, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Like, it's not finger pointing. He's going, remember, God has set you free from that life that you don't want to live anymore. Do you remember what life was like? Don't go back there. There is nothing for you there. God has set you free for the purpose of being free. And that may sound absurd, right? That he had to remind them, hey, you've been set free to be free. So live in freedom. But he needed to remind them. And so I want you to hear that letter. He's reminding us. Because the freedoms that they were needing to be set free from, there may have been some similarities, but there are obviously and most likely some differences as well. And he goes on in verse 7 to say this. And this is where I love to hear Paul the encourager to this church in Galatia. He could see their faces. He knew their names. And in the same way, this is a letter For you to hear from someone that wants to be an encourager. In verse 7 he says, you were running the good race. You were doing a great job. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? During an Olympic season, what a great illustration. Man, your pace was great. Your line was perfect. Who cut in on you? What got you off your pace, got you distracted from your goal, from the prize? Who cut in on you? You could see him just walking side by side going, what happened? He said, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Saying that persuasion that gets you offline does not come from Father God that has called you according to his purpose. That is not the type of of persuasion that comes from him. It comes from somewhere else, a point of destruction or a point of distraction. And he goes on to say, it may sound like it doesn't connect, but it does. He says, you need to understand a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. He's going, look, the smallest piece of bad influence that is apart from God's purpose for your, for your life, the smallest bit can work its way through your entire life and affect your entire world. The smallest bit of yeast can work its way through the entire batch of dough. You've got to be aware of this. And it's coming from this vantage point of an arm around you, an encourager. He's not pointing a finger. It's almost like we're going to run this race again. You've got to be ready. You've got to get up. Verse 16, he says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We heard Scott say this weeks ago. These desires in verse 19 are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and the like. And you say, look, I could go on and on and on, but the desires of the sinful nature are obvious. I don't need to spell this out for you. You know what they are. When they're present You know what they are. But he says instead, what the world should see in you, what the world should see in me as an individual, what the world should see in us as the church. Let's read it together. Verse 22 out of Galatians chapter five. One more time. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self control. Against such things, there is no law. Man, he wraps this up with the last one self control. Maybe the hardest, because when we hear that word self control, we think about all the areas of our life that need it, right? Man, I shouldn't talk that way. Man, I should budget better. Man, I should diet differently. Man, I should exercise more. Man, I should be in scripture more. Man, I should be this. Or man, I shouldn't be this. And it brings all these things up and we almost feel defeated. And I will tell you that from a personal standpoint, preaching on self-control, I'm feeling a lot of conviction because of my personality type. I think there's something in the way God has shaped me. I will tell you the last three weeks, I have purchased probably over 30 pounds of Bing cherries. And no, I don't can them. I don't freeze them. They go in my belly. I love them. I don't know when to stop. Well, I do. It's when the price goes back up and they get really small and sour. But when they're like, you know, peaches. Peaches are meant to be sliced in half, twisted, and half a peach fits perfectly in your mouth. Do you guys know that? I don't know when to stop. Watermelons. Who slices watermelon? You're supposed to quarter watermelon. And that's my piece. <laughs> One-fourth of a 35-pound Jubilee watermelon. That's my portion. Man, you guys, I eat Doritos by the bag. I, I eat ice cream by the bucket. If, if one artillery shell is fun on the 4th of July, you might as well string 10 of them together. Like, I, I am possibly of my own efforts... I am like the worst at self-control. I should be the last one up here preaching about what this looks like. But I will tell you, this is what gives me hope. Is that we have to understand that what Paul is saying to this group of people, and we have to understand how he is saying it. The fruit of the Spirit is a product of a life that is connected to the person and work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives the self-control that he speaks of in Galatians chapter 5 isn't me being more stubborn. It's not me being more disciplined. It's a product of a life connected to the Holy Spirit because I will tell you that if, if it was left up to me to be able to accomplish these fruits of the Spirit, I would be miserably overwhelmed and I would raise the white flag and I would go, I can't do this because i just of my efforts alone it's not possible. And if you remove the holy spirit's presence honestly from our church this list is also miserably unattainable. And that's what he's saying these are it is the fruit of the spirit that is present in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, self-control. And so in Galatians chapter 5, we hear Paul being the encouraging brother that wants to tell us not to forget our calling. Don't forget your calling. Don't forget why God has set you apart. So what does self-control look like? All right, for those of you that are note takers, if you've got a pen, you've got it out. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, I'm like, man, I should have put that on a slide. I didn't. Uh, You can get a phone out and take a note. I feel like this is something really good uh, that you can remember and take from this message. Self-control looks like this. It is you with a good conscience controlling your thoughts, desires, and actions, listen to the last part, by bringing them into a willing submission to God. Controlling your thoughts, desires, and actions By bringing them into a willing submission to God's word. I know that I use control in the definition and you're not supposed to do that. But if some of you are human thesauruses and you want to help me out, I looked and I couldn't find a good replacement. That is a beautiful definition of biblical self-control. I'm going to take my thoughts, my desires, my actions, and I'm going to willingly place them at the feet of Jesus, I'm willingly going to submit them to the authority of God's word. And I'm going to say, God, this is everything that I see in my life, everything that I want, everything that I'm doing. Does your word, do you say that this is right for me? Because I give it to you. And I know it's a big fancy definition, and what I love about Jesus is when there's complicated things, he does a great job of simplifying so that I can understand, so that we can understand, and we can live out what this looks like. And there were three separate occasions in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that Jesus was kind of posted with this question of, I want to be your disciple, and then he explains what that should look like. And he answers that question in almost the exact same way in all three of these books, these accounts Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I want to read to you from Mark, because whenever something in all these books, that's all their, their, how they observe the life of Jesus, but there's moments where some things are almost identical, and I feel like I got to pay really close attention if it's present in all three. And this is one of those circumstances. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus, in answering what it would mean to be his disciple, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. It was a simple sentence. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So what is this first point? If I'm going to be a a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, what does this mean that I'm supposed to deny myself? What, What do you mean deny myself? And it's very simply this, Third City. Naturally speaking, we tend to be very selfish individuals. I've said over and over again from stage, you've never had to teach your two-year-old the word mine. They learn it, right? It comes natural. And over the course of our lives, we, we strategize our lives, right? To go, how can I improve my life? How can I improve my position? How can I make my voice heard? How can I get what I want? How can I reach my goals? And when Jesus is saying, deny yourself, he's saying, look at that stubborn self-willfulness that exists in your life. And you need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge, first of all, that, man, I really am just focused on me. And that's not right. You've got to deny yourself. In understanding that life isn't about me and my purpose. Life is about Jesus and his purpose through me. And this next phrase can be a little confusing. So we're going to deny ourselves. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to take up our cross. Man, what what does that mean? I mean, biblically speaking, crucifixion, when they would talk about a cross, crucifixion meant death. And if crucifixion was in your future, taking up your cross, they would literally make you carry your cross beam that you're going to be nailed to, to the point of execution. It's what Jesus did when you look through the accounts in the gospel. He carried his cross to the place of Golgotha, the place called the Skull. So when you see this phrase, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to acknowledge that my life isn't about me. I am going to crucify that person. I'm going to put to death this mindset that my life is about me and my goals and my purposes. I'm going to crucify and take up my cross. I'm going to crucify that version of myself. Man, some of you are sitting there right now going, don't ask me to do that. I've worked on these goals far too long. They've been far too important. But what your brother Paul is saying, what Jesus was saying in that moment, is don't forget the best goals. Don't forget the most important purpose that will last beyond this life. Put to death that self-willfulness that exists in you, that you're the center of the universe, that you're the most important piece. And this last piece, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. A life following Jesus. I was. I love object lessons, you guys. And I thought of the best way to explain this. Front row people, what do I got here? Come on. What is it? Anybody know what this is? Huh? No. Get it out of your garden. You tell what this is. Come on. Yeah, tomato. So how can you tell it's a tomato? it has got a tomato on it. Are you kidding me? Right? Well, I guess it could have been passes like, a, like an olive. Those are pretty meager tomatoes, right? They're, and they're still green. You know, I looked at this, and at no point did this branch off the tomato plant that I cut off yesterday, Did it? was it saying to itself, you know what I'm going to grow this year? I'm going to grow corn. Right? At no point did this tomato plant say, man, I just, I feel like pecans this year. You know? It's absurd, right? And we know this because this branch was connected to the tomato vine and this branch is designed to bear a certain type of fruit. Genetically speaking, this is what fruit this branch will produce, It doesn't have to sit there all day and go, okay, I'm not going to produce tomatoes, or excuse me, I'm not going to produce pecans because I'm supposed to do tomatoes. I'm not going to produce corn because I'm supposed to do tomatoes. No, this branch is going to produce tomatoes because it's what it does. It's what it's designed to do. As it's connected to the vine, it's what it's made to do. In John chapter 15, Jesus was no stranger to great illustrations. John chapter 15, verse 1, he said this. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It is to the glory of God the Father that we would bear fruit. It is not to my glory that I would bear fruit. And the fruit that I bear is of the Father's design, not of my choosing. Third City, I love the easy part of self-control is that the Holy Spirit does the work. The hard part is you and I waking up day after day, hour after hour, sometimes minute after minute, and denying myself, crucifying that self-willfulness, going, God, here it is. I need you to handle this. I think a lot of times we spend so much time focusing on the things in our lives that we're not supposed to be doing that in an absurd way. We're this branch that's going, I'm not going to make pecans this year. I'm not going to do raspberries. Um... We find ourselves going, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not doing it. 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 it." Instead of realizing your life connected to the vine, allow God to pour in to who you are. Because when God's presence is full in your life, third city, there's not room for the desires of the flesh and the fruit that you will produce yes even self-control we step into this moment of communion and what I love about this is the beautiful picture of self-control that Jesus demonstrated submitting to the will of the Father acknowledging that life wasn't about him, it was about sacrifice and it was about you, it was about me and submitting to the will of God the Father. And as we come to this table of communion this morning together as a church, we get to remember that. We get to remember the vine that we're called to stay connected to. So let's pray and then let's commune together. Father God, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to make being your follower and and having the fruit of the Spirit present in our lives a possibility. Lord, as we remember your sacrifice and how deeply we need it, Help us to humbly crucify our own willful, sinful willfulness and stubbornness, God. I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Third City, if you're anything like me or if you're human, you see that list in Galatians. You go, that's too much. I can't handle that. reminds me of a few years back I heard a scream from my cul-de-sac and my daughter had fallen off her bike really banged up her knee really bad thinking that it was just going to be a band-aid I looked at it, I go, nope, we're going to the emergency room uh, with what our family now refers to as hamburger knee and we walked in and I go I have no idea how they're going to get the gravel out of that wound, it was so deep it was so deep and there was so much and and they they brought in that. Lidocaine shot—that was painful. They put the soap on. They, man, they scrubbed it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's just miserable to watch." How are they going to get all that out? They're going to have to cut it open and get—and like any of you in the medical field know what—you know what happened. They brought in clean water to irrigate. One after another, after another, hose after hose into the wound. The gravel was washed out. And I was like, well, that was, that was easy. Some of you are standing here today going, it's too deep. It's too messy. There's no way they're gonna get all of that out. And what I'm trying to explain to you is the life attached to the Holy Spirit is pouring in clean water. Maybe it's why baptism is such a beautiful thing is because it's you stepping into water to get clean. And man, some of you, need that today. It's not hopeless. Grab someone that came with you. Go, I, I've got questions. I've got to get answered. Stop by the hub outside of either door. Go, hey, he was talking about getting clean. He was talking about connecting my life to the Holy Spirit. I, I need help with that. And we would love to walk with you through that process. The hard part, denying yourself. Crucifying that old you following Jesus. Let's do that together. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11, 30 a.m. in Grand Island and at ten fifteen a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org